This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. tuning into Power Athlete Radio. We are proud to bring you episode 110 with our special guest, Travis Pollan. Travis is an athlete, a coach, and an author whose background, as he'll explain, is steeped in strength and conditioning. Travis discusses how, despite being born a congenital amputee, he never places barriers on himself or other athletes. This combination of perseverance and competitiveness led him to become a record-holding Paralympic swimmer. Travis collaborated with me to help build a two-part article in which we discuss the nuances of coaching athletes with physical impairments. Because he is a practicing CrossFitter and regular competitor, he is even more familiar with the challenges of taking full-body movements and altering them so that they are accessible to every adaptive athlete. I even breached the controversy of performing these movements to a standard that could become mechanically unsound, particularly for an athlete who is even more prone to things like compensation injuries. Travis intelligently walks us through how bridging the gap between rehabilitation and strength training is a matter of working within the range of motion or movement pattern that makes sense for that athlete. Sometimes that means taking a step back and putting other options on the table, such as machines. With training goals that are no different from an able-bodied athlete, Travis explains how getting stronger develops not only a physical edge, but a mental fortitude. This has ultimately allowed him and so many other athletes to set lofty goals and perform the unimaginable. And now I bring you episode 110. All right, Power Athlete Nation, what is happening? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. This is Denny. Today I'm here with Callie, Luke, and Tex. And our special guest is Mr. Travis Pollen, a.k.a. the Pollinator. Travis, you know, we got to, first of all, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, You and I got to speak a little bit a couple days ago. Um, Callie since has put out two great articles on coaching and training with adaptive athletes, but maybe we can just, uh, kind of get the show rolling with, uh, uh, you know, just kind of like your story, your journey a little bit. And then like, as Callie said a few minutes ago, all hell will break loose. Sounds good. (laughs) So I am, I'll start with what I'm doing now. I'm 25 years old and I'm a master's student in biomechanics at the University of Delaware. I'm also a personal trainer and uh, I guess you could say adaptive CrossFit athlete. Um, But rewind about a decade, I was a high school swimmer and I started lifting weights to get a, what I like to say, a leg up on my competition. I say a leg up because I was born missing my left leg, um, like a rare congenital abnormality that resulted in the absence of my left femur. So anyway, I was a high school swimmer and I wanted to do everything that I could outside the pool to try to even up with my uh, able-bodied teammates. And so I started lifting weights the summer after my first season and I remember I was in the the basement of my local YMCA and I had a a book called Getting Stronger by Bill Pearl, which I didn't know at the time it was a bodybuilding book. Or I did know it was a bodybuilding book, but I didn't know there was a difference between, you know, bodybuilding, powerlifting, sports performance training. I just thought lifting weights was lifting weights. So here I was like reading out of the book, doing uh then doing a leg curl or leg extension or a bicep curl or stupid exercises that probably didn't really help me that much in the pool, but I got kind of jacked, so I figured I was doing it right. Um, But then 
fast forward a few years, I was swimming in college and I figured that I really needed some help uh, in the gym setting. So I hired a personal trainer and I worked with her for a couple years and we sort of figured out that I had a knack for um, resistance training and I really, really enjoyed it. And she said, you know, you'd be good at this. You'd be a good personal trainer. You should go get your certification. So I was a physics major in undergrad. Um, and once I was done with that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I graduated. So I was like, all right, let me goof off for a little, get my personal trainer certification and see what happens. Well, I did. And I ended up really, really loving being a personal trainer. Um, so I, you know, I thought it was just going to be like a, a few months that I would do this. And then I would, you know, go back to school and get a higher degree, which I am doing, but now I'm almost done with the master's and I foresee myself continuing to work in the strength and conditioning realm for the rest of my life. You know, writing, coaching, um, hopefully in the future, um, lecturing at seminars, et cetera. Awesome. So Travis, um, you know, what, what do you think it was that really started to draw you towards strength conditioning? You said you, you almost immediately enjoyed it and your trainer said you had a knack for it. Um, you know, what aspects of strength conditioning really appealed to you? Um, well, so what I really love about it is, like I said, I was a physics major in college. And so I've always had a love of numbers and mechanics. Um, and then I've always loved exercise. So being able to combine the two um, and really taking like a scientific approach to training is what gets me going. So trying like crafting workouts um, or like training programs for people, it just is a really satisfying feeling. And then like applying scientific principles, like a few weeks ago I wrote a blog post about moment arms and mm -hmm. like nobody gives a crap about moment arms in general. But when you give specific examples of, of how you can use these principles and apply them to your resistance training program to get a muscle building effect, that's what gets me excited. And hopefully when people can understand the science behind something that they've always felt intuitively, it really expands their minds. So, so you're, you almost uh, are refuting one of the comments that you made earlier, which struck me is that you kind of jokingly, jokingly said that uh, you were doing some bodybuilder stuff and, you know, it's transference to your sport maybe wasn't direct, but you, you know from a science aspect that it is indirectly, uh, you know, it's certainly adding to that GPP. And from a physics standpoint, I mean, as far as uh, gaining musculature and, um, you know, muscle density and things like that, that that the bodybuilder training does it definitely did have an impact um, in your training. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, just in terms of you know getting a bigger cross-sectional area is going to make you stronger. But you know, are bicep curls really the exercise that I should have been doing every day, or should sure. I have been doing pull-ups? So just yeah. in terms of like really honing in on uh, optimizing the time that I was spending if I was going to the gym every day. Like yeah. rather than doing lateral raises, like let me do some overhead press. Right. That makes perfect sense. Well, that's awesome. <clears throat> so what are, let's moving on to the, to some of the questions here. Um, you know, we, we talk about the, the common goals of the adaptive athlete, the mental toughness that we see um, in all athletes and the need to kind of excel in strength conditioning uh, is, is an important aspect to any athlete, right? Because it, uh, I think it, it has that ability to parallel our real life struggles, right? And those struggles are, um, you know, for the for some adaptive athletes are are more challenging than than other able-bodied athletes, right? And mm -hmm. so, so you know, where do you where do you see that parallel in the training, and how do you um, how do you think it you know impacts that athlete in terms of their ability to kind of have that confidence and, and that, that strength of mindset outside of the gym. Yeah. Well, I kind of view the gym as a, a microcosm of the world. Like if you can, if you approach the gym or because I grew up as a swimmer, um, the pool as well, if you approach, uh, like a, a workout and you aren't sure if you're going to be able to do it, but then you just, you know, you go for it and you end up being like exceeding all expectations and doing something that you didn't think you could do, I think that has a lot of transfer to your everyday life. So the, the success that you 
um, come by in your exercise also applies to then like, especially for someone who has a disability, you know, um, like going in, I don't know, um, taking the stairs um, at the, wherever you are. Like you've, you've conquered something in the gym and then you're out in the real world and you see something that you didn't think that you could do before, but now you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, just to kind of take like a step back, can we, can we define for anyone who maybe hasn't uh, read the interview with you? And I know Denny said some kind words about the article, but really like the basis of information came from you and your, um, your experience in the field. But can you define adaptive athlete? I know that it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really general term, actually, which it, um, was kind of new to me that it wasn't like a specified term because, like you said, we're all to some degree adaptive athletes. But in this context, um, can you kind of lay out what, what we're defining that as? Absolutely. So, so like you said, uh, and that we're all adaptive, that's something I stole from um, a couple of women who started a foundation called I Am Adaptive. They're out in Florida. Um, but the idea is that everybody, you know, whether they're overweight or they have um, uh, some sort of illness uh, or condition where they have to adapt to whatever they're doing in the gym. Um, so in, in that sense, we're all in some way, shape, or form adapting. But in particular, like the adaptive athletes that you would see uh, competing in the Paralympics or at in the adaptive division of a, a CrossFit competition, people like me who are an amputee, you know, either missing a leg or an arm or both, um, people who with cerebral palsy, people who uh, have traumatic brain injury, so even sometimes things that you can't see to the naked eye, um, and people with uh, visual impairments, uh, so just anything under the sun. And the really cool part is um, that at least in the adaptive uh, CrossFit competitions that I've done, everybody competes against everybody else. Uh, so there, there are no divisions, which was new to me because I thought, well, how am I going to compete against somebody with one arm? Like, that's not fair. But um, the, the, uh, the organizers of these events have worked relentlessly to try to figure out what the best scaling factors are for the workouts just so you can throw everybody into like a, a three minutes of max um, hang cleans and then just uh, everybody, like your score is whatever multipl multiplicative factor based on your physical difference. Um, so that was really cool to contrast it with the when I was swimming in the Paralympics, I was just competing against people missing an arm or a leg and then there was a different division for people missing two legs, different division for people with cerebral palsy, uh, which was fine, but it, the divisions weren't that great because if the, the more you broke it down, the fewer people you had to compete against. Yeah. Whereas if everybody goes together, then it's just, I mean, I'm next to the guy who has no hands who's doing cleans with, like, hooks attached to his residual limbs. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, my, uh, another question kind of with regards to that that I just kind of thought of was um, in your training versus in com a competitive scenario, whether it be sport or it's sport of fitness, CrossFit, um, how do you determine whether or not you're going to use a prosthesis during your training or during competition? I mean, is it just uh, it's it's whatever you choose, or it That's depends. That's a great question. Is it like it depends on the goal of the workout? I'm sure, right? Absolutely. So, uh, just for me, um, if I have to do anything where I'm squatting or deadlifting or picking weight up off the floor or anything body weight, I'm gonna take my prosthesis off because it just gets in the way. Even though it's only about seven or eight pounds, it restricts my mobility in uh, getting to the floor or in squatting deeply. So I just get rid of it. And because I was born without my leg, like I can stand on one leg for an hour at a time, no problem. But if I'm going to do something, um, but the, so the, the problem with that is that I'm only working really one side of my lower body and my core. And so that's fine in a competition setting, just like any competitive athlete will sort of risk their body for the sake of competition. Um, not that I'm risking my body, but I'm not building strength symmetrically when I don't have my prosthesis on. So 
So when I'm training for a competition or when I'm in competition, if I'm going to perform the workout better, then I'm going to take the leg off. But when I'm just uh, training on my own, I do everything that I can to develop strength symmetrically in my lower body. So exercises that I can do unilaterally um, so that I can't even use my good side uh, and I can just train my affected side, um, focus on that like single leg glute bridges or like something stupid like side lying abduction or clamshells. Um, and then even like hang power cleans. So instead of taking the leg off and doing them from the floor, I'll just do them from the hang and I'll try to use my uh, affected side as much as I can. Yeah. So, but then also like I, there were some guys from um, Latin America at the last uh, CrossFit competition I did. It was called the Working Wounded Games. And they, I, I'm not, I, my Spanish was rusty. So I was talking to them in Spanish. They were talking to me in English. But <laughs> basically from what I understood was that their prostheses, like they couldn't afford to um, break them basically because they're, you know, they're super expensive and they only had one. I mean, I only have one and they're super expensive too, but if it breaks, then I go get it fixed. Uh, but these guys, they just took the prostheses off and did everything on one leg. Farmer's carries and like just crazy, crazy stuff that most people would not think was possible onto with, without a leg. Yeah. Even me watching this guy do it. I was like, how are you going to hop for two minutes with 70 pounds in each hand? But he did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of necessity. Uh, but in general, there, like you said, there are certain times when you want uh, to use the assistive technology and other times when it just gets in the way and slows you down. So, Travis, this uh, kind of reminds me of another question. And this is going to be a little bit, like, controversial, what I'm going to say. And I think that... Um, you're, you're a sound guy, you seem rational and reasonable, so I know you won't get upset with me saying this, but um, does there come a point where, for instance, um, the, the CrossFit movement and what we call like the functional movement, right, it, it becomes um, unsound like mechanical movement patterns for an athlete who is an adaptive athlete for where they, to simply achieve the movement that needs to be done, they end up compromising good mechanics or they're, you know, for instance, like, um, without a doubt, is the you, know what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So definitely, um, uh, for me, uh, a few months ago, I posted a video of a one rep max clean and press that I did. Um, and I didn't realize, I guess when I put it up, I was too excited that I, like did a body weight clean and press on one leg. Yeah. So <laughs> I put it up and then, uh, you know, I, I was playing it back in slow motion, like after I'd already posted it to social media. And I realized that I had some really funky stuff going on at my knee. Like it was going into valgus and it was going into varus. And uh, people were commenting like, that's great, but like, don't you worry about your knee. And I, I was like, yeah, I guess, but this was my one rep max. Like, Anytime somebody's going to do a one rep max, it's not going to be their prettiest lift. Which is um, true, yeah. Because if it were, then it wouldn't wouldn't be their one rep max. There's going to be a little bit of technique slip. So I still didn't. I still wasn't happy about it. I wish that I, you know, it had looked perfect because I, I'm trying to um, uh, disseminate good sound training principles, and there I am having something that could potentially be injurious up on my website, mm -hmm. but. But like you said, so so that's one issue. But when those movement patterns are becoming recurrent in your training at submaximal loads, that's when you definitely run into problems. Yeah. And I I know that I mean I even from my own experience for for years I was training for swimming, and I wasn't even worried about strengthening my affected side, my short leg, because it wasn't propelling me in the water. So I was doing single leg squats, single leg cleans, single leg Olympic lifts until I realized that the cause of, or the potentially part of the cause of my back pain was that I had these really overdeveloped spinal erectors on one side and nothing on the other side. Yeah, and, and it, so, you know, that's funny because, I mean, and Tex can jump in here, it's no different than what we do with a, a high-skilled athlete who's overdeveloped on one side, whether it's their throwing arm or, 
you know, striking arm or whatever it is, or kicking leg. I mean, what, part of what we do as strength conditioning coaches is, is, is try to create some sort of symmetry, if not, not for any necessarily performance aspect, but really just as a preventative maintenance type thing. Right. Um, like okay. thora thoracic rotation, you know, making sure that there's, you know, so that, so that we can avoid injury. Right. So the, the asymmetry that you develop might be beneficial for your sport if you're, if it's like a rotational sport where you're always throwing right, always batting right, but then when you go to pick something up off the floor and you tweak your back because you're so asymmetrical, I guess that's where you have a problem. Yeah. But even like I, I'll watch uh, other CrossFit or other adaptive athletes uh, <clears throat> compete or even just, you know, just training and I'll see like, okay, if you're uh, doing a clean from the floor and you have one arm, there's no way that you can get the bar off the floor without doing something funky at your lumbar spine, kind of rotationally right. to, uh, to dip under the bar. And so that's on like a rep by rep basis that might not hurt you, but if you're performing all of your reps like that and you can't counteract it, then you're going to have problems eventually, right. I think. Right. And, and, you know, just, I mean, I didn't, and it's, it's not a slight on, um, you know, the sport of fitness or anything like that, but it is very in vogue right now. And, um, you know, it's, it's great when it's scaled in an intelligent way for, for that particular athlete, because, you know, it's just, it, it does, it does sort of make me wonder, you have so many, uh, younger adaptive athletes and you just want to see them have strength for a lifetime. You know, you don't want it to be sort of this, like, burn out quickly because we've developed these overuse injuries in the dominant side or, or what have you. And that was kind of my only concern when I dove into some of the research on this. Yeah. And then, but it, so you could, you could also equate it to something like uh, what the CrossFit athletes are doing at the games with like weighted GHD sit up throws. 100%. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're going to do something uh, you have, you're going to do it in competition and that means you kind of have to train it as much as you have to in order to perform it well. Uh, and it's not necessarily the best movement for you, but because it, you're able to, uh, it, because you can set standards to it, like you touch the floor on the bottom of the GHD sit-up and then you touch your toes at the top, or you pick the bar up off the floor and you finish in the rack position, like that's the easiest movement to judge and score, but it might not necessarily be the best for that athlete. But then... If, if something is really far out there, like we know you're going to get hurt, then we will like uh, adapt it. We will modify it so that you can use a kettlebell instead of a barbell. So from like a really, really like, if it looks like you're going to get hurt, like acutely, then we, you modify it and scale it. But if it's like just a little shaky, then it probably passes. Yeah, sure. From a kind of a long-term athlete development perspective, we start with perfect posture. From perfect posture, then we kind of add uh, kind of the asymmetric elements or single arm, single leg stuff to challenge it and try to take it away, but they're still maintaining it. And kind of that far end approach is we start in bad positions and then it's regain it because we know at top level sports, football, basketball, really anything that you're going to get out of a bad position. So. I mean, uh, we would take that kind of that same approach. If we'd meet one-on-one, we'd set up a good posture and then kind of see where we go from there to challenge it and try to take it away. Yeah, the, the challenging part when you're working with somebody who, whose body is asymmetrical, though, is that you can challenge them in one position and they can get out of that bad position, but then you can't work the other side because it's not there. So, you know, sometimes if you have, like, a, a residual limb that go like, like, say, your arm goes down just to the elbow. Well, you can throw some bands on and like rig up some kettlebells and you are able to use what you have, but sometimes it cuts off right at the shoulder and you know, as a result of that, you probably are gonna be pretty asymmetrical. And whether or not that is painful now or later, I guess is, is yet to be determined because a lot of us are just getting into the sport and we're in our 20s and we're doing all sorts of crazy competitions, and we'll see what what it what happens to us in our 30s and 40s. But to counteract to on the opposite end of the spectrum, if we were just sitting around, 
being sedentary, we would definitely be, you know, even worse off in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Oh yeah, so, definitely. There's, yeah, of, course, there's... of course you have to strike the right balance and sure. some, some people are probably going too far. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of our, that's our, anything. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of our MO as adaptive athletes is because we're starting at a disadvantage. We need to work that much harder to get to where we want to. Sure. Um, do you like text uh, Luke or Denny? Do you guys have any experience working with an adaptive athlete? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, a few years ago, um, I worked with a kid. He was he was fourteen or fifteen. Great kid, and uh, he had his mother told me it was like a tethered spinal cord. So, what did what had happened is uh, he had like his, I think it was his right leg was like atrophied um, to where it, it, it became a challenge for him, um, you know, in, in everyday just movement. So he came to, at that time we were running a CrossFit kids class and he had participated in some of the, uh, like his school sports. So he was cleared to go. And, uh, you know, it, it, when in reading the article that, uh, that you released, Callie, the, in the second part, um, Travis, the, the point that really stuck out to me was you were, you were saying, like, we need to bridge the gap between, like, uh, rehab and then just training. And if that means um, an adaptive athlete, like, if, in this case, uh, the, the kid that I worked with, like when he did back squat, um, it was above parallel, you know, and the approach that I took was uh, I'm going to watch him. I'm going to watch him perform this movement um, as safely and as effectively as he can do it. He'll then relate to me, you know, uh, if, if it hurts, he's not going to do it. Right. Um, if it was above parallel, it looked good. Were there some imbalances? Sure. You know, when you spoke earlier about the the valgus to various knee, um, you know, I could tell he favored his other limb. And then uh, the the inst the instability of the knee was uh, at at first. I I was like, man, I don't. You know, I I kind of was. The last thing I would want to do is is injure the kid, but at the same time, if, if we can work on like sound mechanics, you know, to, to the best of his ability and, and we're making progress, then, then I felt satisfied that I was doing my job, you know, and mm -hmm. in time, um, the, the squatting back front squat. Now we were doing a CrossFit kids class so that he would do like dynamic pulling um, it, it did improve. Um, the biggest challenge I had with him was that he, he had a strong upper body and, you know, he wanted to prove to himself that he could do, uh, anything that everybody else did. And at times were the loads getting a little bit too heavy that I was comfortable with, um, Yes, you know, but it, it kind of goes back to like you were saying, we didn't max out the kids, but, you know, as the weight gets heavier, certain things aren't uh, going to look as perfect as, as we as strength coaches would like. And, and I, I just kind of rolled with it, you know, I mean, if it, if it got, if I was too uncomfortable with the way it looked, then I would back it off, you know, I, I do that with, with able body. Yeah, that's, that's, do that. yeah, it's, yeah, so, and it's nothing against him. It was like, look, at, you know, I mean, if I'm not comfortable with this, we're not going to do that. But then, you know, I would, I would allow some leeway there, and it was a learning process for me just as much as it is for him. And it goes back to that point you made in the article. It's like, you know, uh, coaches slash trainers, like we, we need to get to this point to where we're not afraid to, you know, uh, go, you know, take an adaptive athlete from like rehabilitation to getting, getting he or she training for, you know, a specific goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't, 
if you know you see somebody who has a physical difference and you think oh we have to be careful we have to be careful but uh, once they're outside of the acute rehab you have to train them in order for them to be not just you know just to be able to function in their daily lives they have to get stronger and you can't just have them lying on the ground doing clamshells and bridging for their workouts but I liked what you said about, uh, you know, if he was squatting a little bit high, that's okay. Like we have to, when you have somebody with a difference, you have to, you can't just um, like try to mold the individual to the exercise. You have to mold the exercise to the individual. So for years I was trying and trying and trying to squat low and squats parallel. And I realized that just because that's the standard for powerlifting and yes, you want to, strengthen your uh, joints through their full range, your muscles through the full range of motion. But for me, the best squat is a high box squat. And be because I'm able to work both sides symmetrically, and like you said, you saw him favoring his good side, sometimes you actually have to reduce the weight so that they're able, and they really have to focus on using their affected side as much as they're using their unaffected side. So for me, like, I can single leg deadlift 135 pounds, but I can only bilaterally stiff leg deadlift 115 where I'm utilizing both sides of my body. So sometimes you just have to take a step back and you know really focus on strengthening that area that needs to be strengthened. And for him, like that was his lower body, his upper body was wicked strong. And so just like anybody, you know, you have to work on your weaknesses. Yeah, you know, I've had a few experiences myself. I think um, I did uh, some sessions when I was back in D.C. working as a trainer. I worked with um, somebody who was uh, missing their right leg from below the knee, um, and so they had a prosthesis. And, and generally when I was asked to uh, train this person, you know, I – I really didn't think that it was going to be that much of a challenge. Um, and, you know, as it turned out, I mean, as long as you have sort of a global understanding of strength and conditioning, like you said, where it's like you're not – the exercise is just – it's just a – it's just a thing. You can manipulate the exercise as long as you know what stimulus you're trying to drive. There's ways to do it. And one of the things is as much as I wanted to um, – and I utilized a lot of uh, – either barbell movements, dumbbell movements, you know, movements through different planes of motion. Uh, you know, I didn't think there was anything wrong based on this guy's goals to getting him to do things like seated leg curl and things like that. And so I would, yeah. I would incorporate those too. And I think that, you know, able-bodied people, uh, adaptive athletes, elderly athletes, youth athletes, you know, we almost forget based on the times that we live in that those are still really viable um, sources. And I, and I think that, especially when you add them, say, at the end of a workout or something like that where you need to go to exhaustion or something like that, you, you're, you're taking out stability as a factor of limiting your ability to just kind of move weight through space. And I, I think that there's a lot of value there that people really sleep on these days, you know? Yeah, we always poo-poo machine training, but sometimes, like for somebody who's missing a leg, a leg extension might be the best alternative because it, it is going to strengthen their quads and maybe it's not going to have that same kind of functional carryover as a squat. But if you're spending half your time just try, like doing a balancing act in order to do a squat, then throw them on the leg extension. Right, right. Know why you're using that the exercise. And then Luke uh, and I, we worked at CrossFit Balboa and I think uh, there, was, there was an athlete there who was uh, uh, missing her hand at her wrist. Do you remember that, Luke? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And um and so she, you know, she was she was very she had a lot of autonomy in her training and she would basically she would know exactly what she needed to do at any given time. She'd come prepared with uh, you know, whatever apparatus she needed to do, whether it was pull-ups or um to create some sort of a band um system for whatever it is we were doing. And and that's the thing is is like there's a lot of independence in the athlete because they're they know it's going to work pretty effectively for themselves too if they've been training already for a little while, you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, the that that the lines of conversation have to be open because the athlete knows their body the best, and so oftentimes they're going to be the ones who come up with 
the the trick that gets them to feel the exercise the way they want or you know figure out what the way to attach the band to the way to do what they need to do yeah and I imagine too um, you know one of the things that I was thinking about going through this process of just kind of educating myself is you know um, you, I'm sure you see and you are familiar with some athletes who if they you know if it was a, congen a congenital defect or some sort of um, issue from birth or maybe they, they lost a limb later in life um, but you know they might go through this personal evolution where strength training is new to them and then once they find that they are capable of that do they then think about getting into sport like aside from CrossFit and doing kind of those type of weightlifting competitions do you see people make that that bridge into things like rock climbing or yeah um, that happened to me actually okay <laughs> is that I I recently tried rock climbing for the first time and I was like holy crap I'm really good at this I bet <laughs> like yeah. first of First of all, I only weigh 115 pounds with my leg off, so that's already a huge advantage. And like, okay, I'm only doing like the V0 or like the easy routes, but not everybody can on their first day do like scale the the wall like that. So it turned like just from from being first from being a swimmer and then from being a, like a really like strong from body weight training in the gym, then I was able to go do this skilled uh, activity and have a lot of success with it. Yeah, and so I think that that's, that's amazing to be able to apply your fitness, you know, in into another like in another realm. Right, 100%. And I think that that's like one thing that, you know, um, is it, it behooves an adaptive athlete like even more so because it, that application continues the the drive and the motivation to do the strength training because I'm sure in in some aspects just like uh, you know, in my in my own training or all of our own training, there can be like a point of stagnation where you're like, how is this applicable? Am I am I really utilizing my time um, to to apply this in something in, in sport or what I'm doing outside of the gym? And um, you know, I I just think that in order to kind of continue that evolution and that's that cycle of uh, incorporation into other things, I think incorporation into sport into um, obtaining new skill sets in sport, right? Like, so new skill sets like, like rock climbing, like getting out and playing tennis for the first time, like, you know, skiing, all these things. It's just got to help the life cycle of these athletes, right? Yeah, it's nice to have a goal in mind. Right. Besides just getting stronger for the sake of getting stronger. Like, last year I signed up for uh, an, an Olympic distance aqua bike at the end of the summer, which was the swim and the bike portion of a triathlon. So I was doing the bike on a hand cycle and the swim was no problem, but like I really had to be in good shape to do 25 miles of a hilly course on a hand cycle. And so I was really, because I, and I wanted to finish in, in a reasonable amount of time. So all summer I was focused on, you know, getting strong enough and getting my endurance up, up enough to do that. Whereas sometimes we just get, you know, bogged down in like the day-to-day -day of going to the gym and we lose track of what we're doing. Yeah, I, I, I imagine um, I've worked with one of those hand cycling bikes and uh, you know my like a funny thing is that um, you know if if an, if somebody came to me and was like I want to you know let's you know I want to try a different warm-up what's like what is this machine over here and it'd be the hand cycling bike and I'd be like yeah why don't you hop on there and we'd like do some intervals and people would die. I mean, it is extremely challenging. It is one of those like water resisted hand cycling bikes. And I only, I can only imagine that having used your arms and shoulders and the push pull movement of like lats for swimming and then having to then hop on the, the, the hand bike, like that must be like crazy taxing. I was, I'm, I'll never do the Olympic distance again. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. But here's a crazy story. So I was exhausted from this aqua bike. Uh, it was on a Sunday, and I went to the and I said, "All right, I'm taking like a week off. Like I need just to rest." And then my training partner the next day was like, "Hey, let's go to the gym." And I was like, "All right, like, <laughs> I guess I'll go to the gym." And I PR'd my hand clean. Wow. It was the weirdest thing. So I, you know, I wrote like a, a Facebook status the next day, like, "You never know." when you're going to, you know, uh, get, get a best lift. Yeah. So, uh, don't, yeah, don't just like, 
just based on how you're feeling, not how you think you should feel, be feeling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we we actually oftentimes say that, and we we're big fans of kind of working within what we refer to as a daily matrix. So based on you know, if if even if your programming says that you're doing five by five of whatever, if you're feeling like great that day, and you just start lifting, and you're like, this is the day, then you go for a PR. Why not? You know. Oh yeah. And yeah. on a day where you're supposed to lift, you know, singles, but you're not feeling it, don't. Right, exactly. <laughs> people, I think, are too rigid, and yeah. a, a bit of auto-regulation can actually be beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Um, so talk a little bit about some of uh, the competitions out there that exist, and I know that, like you said, you've done a few competitions, and... Um, you, you know, I threw up some of the information on the article um, regarding the uh, competition that is in Arlington in November. Yeah, that's the big, big one. Yeah, so, so tell me kind of about those experiences and uh, if anybody's looking to get involved, I mean, you know, what are some roles that you think people can have at the yeah, top? Well, first of all, uh, if you're an adaptive athlete, you can compete. And second of all, if you want to volunteer, they're always looking for more volunteers if you're on the East Coast. Because everybody, every single person obviously needs a judge, and there's a lot that goes into setting up the venue and taking it apart at the end and all that. But uh, So there's the one coming up in November in Arlington that's called the Working Wounded Games. I think this is the fourth year. Last year they had like 50 athletes, and I'm sure this year there's going to be more um, from all around the world. Like I said, people coming in from Latin America. It, the competition, the level of competition is incredible. So I came in... 25th place out of 27 athletes, and I'm, <laughs> I'm no slouch. <laughs> in yeah. fact, a few months later, I competed in a bodyweight, able-bodied CrossFit competition, and I won. Oh, so my God. The fact, like, these guys at the adaptive competition, they're, like, six foot four, one leg, but they're, like, 250, and they're lifting these Atlas stones, and I'm like, you know, like, I just want to do some pull-ups. Like, uh, the, it's just amazing what these people are doing. Yeah. So, so there was that, and then uh, a few months ago in January, I think, they had the um, Wadapalooza in Florida where mm -hmm. they had an adaptive uh, division. So I'm sure next year or whenever they do it again, that'll happen. And down the road, we're hoping, thinking, that there will be an adaptive division in the CrossFit Games. Um, yeah. Who knows when that'll happen. But um, So there are, there are competitions all over, and I – at least for me, I wasn't sure going into it, like, what to expect um, or even how to train because I didn't know what the events were going to be. But even though I finished, you know, low in the standings, it was still a blast. And I met so many people. And I saw how other um, amputees were adapting exercises and how they were training. And I saw a guy, his name is Zach Rule. Uh, you guys should check him out on Facebook. He flipped a 400 pound tire from seated oh my god I, so I flipped that thing once and it was like the heaviest thing that I'd ever picked up and this dude like bicep curled it and then kind of like cleaned it up to his shoulders and then hoisted it over it was unreal oh my god that's unreal that's great yeah so like, just, just a from a from a spectator standpoint watching that it just like it, it almost brought me to tears like seeing what people can do um, when you would, things that you never would have thought possible. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted people to take away, too, from just this podcast and just kind of um, the articles is not only to just be familiar with uh, the, the population, but also to not be intimidated. I think that oftentimes people are, are intimidated when they they have, um, and it, it's not just a, adaptive athletes, it could be any athlete that's outside of their comfort zone, right? So even if someone came in and they're a fucking rock star of an athlete, a lot of times that freaks coaches out. And, um, you know, they're, they're not sure how to approach the training. And, you know, it's all about educating yourself so that you can meet the needs of that athlete and, you know, would you give any special advice to, to people if an adaptive athlete walks in their gym in terms of, uh, you know, how to approach, um, you know, the situation, whether it's modifying something? Obviously, there's a, there's a, a, a kind of a physical approach that you would take with them. But in terms of just 
kind of like tact or how to handle, you know, because you never want to think that you never want to set the bar too high or too low, right? right. It's about I, I think that at least for me and for anybody who has who I've ever met before, we just want to be treated the same as everyone else. Right. So, I mean, that like I to, I would go as far as to say that that has been my goal in life is just to be viewed no differently from anyone else. And if, even if that means I have to like super compensate in terms of like trying to be more independent than uh, a person who has all four limbs just so everybody sees me as normal. Um, but yeah, so like when an athlete comes in, just, you know, treat them the same as you would treat anybody else. Like yeah. if, if, so you're the, uh, the individual that you worked with, with the below knee, uh, prosthesis, mm -hmm. it's almost like he had an ankle injury and he, yep. you know, he was wearing a walking boot. Like he'll be able to do most of the same things. So yeah. it's actually, it's in, in a case like that, it's not really that different from things that you will probably already have experienced from, from the physical side of things, you know, right. your right. assessment process is going to be basically the same. I mean, depending on the severity of the physical difference, that it might necessitate, you know, being a little more careful or having to get a little more creative. Um, but uh, from the from the emotional standpoint, I, I think we just want to be treated the same as everyone else. Yeah, great. Um, uh, Tex or Luke or Denny, did you guys have any questions for Travis that you wanted to touch on? I, I just oh. want to add a, uh, a just, I grew up with a kid and we all we just played football growing up and uh, he he was born with just one arm uh, just just below the elbow so he went on to play quarterback up until about sophomore year from there he just ballooned up and they put him at center and he was probably one of the best centers that I've been fortunate to know and meet and it was just kind of awesome he still bench press I even he even stiff armed me one time uh, when I was playing defense so that when he was playing quarterback freshman year, but just a unique experience and kind of seeing uh, just that for, as a young athlete, it was uh, it was fun to grow with that. And I bet gr growing up with him, because my always my friends always like tell me, oh, I like I forgot that you had one leg, you know. I'm sure you didn't even think twice about it. Uh, no, he even played the guitar. Just uh, amazing human being named Drew went on to play play a little ball at TCU. Um, just while he had the time, so it was, he's a great guy. That's awesome. I was gonna just kind of uh, ask, and it goes. Text stole my thunder a little bit on my one question, but uh, as far as like, you know, we've talked on on the show before about like the um, in in CrossFit competitions uh, how there's like a connection between uh, the crowd and and the athletes performing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, right. And you and I spoke a little bit about this um, a few days ago. And yeah. um, we can we let's just so the listeners can kind of get a little uh, a little like details of the conversation that we had. We we kind of talked about uh, like the spectators view um, and, and the excitement and the inspiration they could get. Yeah. Um, so, so think about wanted, this. Like, if you see, go ahead. If you see Callie flip a 400 pound tire, it's like, okay, that's awesome. Like, I, I have but seen we, it. But we expected her to do that. She's a beast. <laughs> but if you yeah. see a guy with one, who's hopping around on one leg and then pick it up and flip it, like you probably weren't expecting him to be able to do that. And it's it just like first so from that side of things your mind is blown but then it's also like wow this guy obviously has been through a lot like right. he and most people have been through a lot so the fact that he has overcome that and now is doing these incredible things it it gives you like more of a common interest like it it makes you feel like hey I, he's doing amazing things like maybe I could do something amazing like that. Like he's so, so back to the example of Callie flipping the tire. It's like, okay, she flipped it, but she's like this insane athlete. But this guy, he, he wasn't blessed with like, uh, you know, not that kind of natural talent. Like if he weren't an athlete, like he could be in a wheelchair, he wouldn't be hopping around like that. So it, for, it's like 
these these people are real. Like I can relate to the people, the adaptive athletes that I'm watching as a spectator. Whereas you know you watch professional athletes, it's like, well, I could never do something like that. They they have like good genetics, I, and I'm a couch potato, and that's just right. That. Yeah, and I, I think we we are, we can all relate to that kind of. Uh that comparison that we have with each other. It's like, you know, there are, there are different echelons of, uh, of elite, if you will. But yeah, I think what you said about, um, you know, your, your first instinct when you see something like that, if I were to see, uh, the, the gentleman you spoke of who basically did like a clean and press from a seated position with the tire. I'll find that video. I'll send it to you guys. Oh yeah. I think that like my first, my human instinct is confusion. It's like, Am I really seeing what I'm seeing right now? Because this is like unbelievable. And then you think about the physics involved from a, a science standpoint, like you said, moment arms, levers, all that stuff. And you realize that this isn't just somebody like flipping a 400 pound tire. This is like working against like, you know, the best, most efficient position possible to flip a, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the amazing thing. Like, okay, if you're really strong and you're on two legs with two arms, like, you can get away with crappy technique and flip it, but the way right. that he had to first bicep curl it, then get his residual limbs underneath it in order to get the leverage to be able to overhead to get it overhead, it was just like such a technical mastery. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so there, there's some parallels to swimming in this, in that the harder you work, you know, you you tend to drown. I know that from experience. Oh, without a doubt. Be just as as fluid and efficient as possible. Easy. Speed. So. A lot of these adaptive athletes, they're definitely finding that way just outside the pool. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point, Tex. And that's, and you know, that's the best CrossFit athletes. You see it looks like they're not working hard. Yeah, yeah. They're there's, just, there's something to that. Beautiful movers. Um, so one thing that we'd like to do is ask our guests uh, where some of your inspiration comes in the, in the form of the cinema, okay, because we're big fans of movies here. Uh, we like a lot of bad movies. Mostly Luke likes a lot of bad movies. This is per you're gonna love mine then. I hope you've <laughs> seen it. Or if you haven't seen it, then I hope you watch it. All right, let's let's hear it. It's called Never Back Down. Oh my god, I've never heard of it. It's, it's kickboxing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen so, that. So it's <laughs> it's like I think it's from 2008 or so. It's like a very cliched like teeny bopper MMA movie um, about the guy who gets the girl and, you know, fights in the and fight. And let me guess, he but... never backs down. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> you said, I thought you hadn't seen it. <laughs> so, oh, wait. So the, sound, so the soundtrack to this movie is like Soldier Boy and um, uh, Kanye. And yes. so as soon as I saw this movie, like, I put these songs on my pre-race playlist. <laughs> and uh, there's a, a – I think actually I've – I gave you guys the song, the the red jumpsuit apparatus. Yes. Uh, so that would be the song that I would listen to right before my race when I was up like behind the blocks. It got me so fired up, and still it does to this day. Cool. Um, Have you seen so, that music video? Uh, you know what? I don't even think I've seen the video. It's just a dude just tearing apart an apartment. It's pretty badass. Wow. But it'll pump you up. Yeah. <laughs> so so like when I saw this movie in the theaters. With my friends, we just got so hyped up, and then I think between my best friend and I, we've probably watched it like a hundred times since. Jesus. The, the the training montage is just uh, it's incredible when the when the uh, like the the master uh, the MMA teacher tells the guy not to give up and not to back down. It just like my my heart. Just goosebumps. Yeah, every time, every so, time, even, even though I knew all the words. Yeah, I, even though I know all the words, I'm still surprised when he agrees to the fight at the end. I'm like, no, don't do it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, like you could have, you could have, you know. Oh my God. So if I see this movie, yeah. Travis, uh -huh. am I gonna regret having watched it? <laughs> no, 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 because even though it's cliched, it's still totally cool. And Luke, totally... Luke, confirm or deny? Confirm. You remember, you remember Predator? Yeah. yeah Are you talking gonna... to me? Yeah, Predator moment. When you first watch Predator, I don't know where yeah. we're going, but you're like, I've never yeah, seen this flat. movie. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Face slap. Yeah. And then we turn it on. 
Dude, that was a that was a great movie. Um, any other movies or uh, sources of inspiration, like uh, either from movies or uh, montages or music that you'd like to? I know we got your playlist, so we'll release that. But any like any other big pump up like or people that you maybe you stare at a poster and slap yourself around a little bit? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I well, so I have so growing up. Um, I, my best friend uh, and I were always really competitive, and uh, we we joined the high school swim team together. Um, and he always he was on. I wouldn't get in the water until he did. <laughs> uh, superstition? Not superstition. It was just like, well, I can't really get in until he does. Uh, like just because I know if he gets in, like, and he swims like a little bit, then I'm gonna be okay. It was just yeah. like, okay, when he goes, I go. Yeah. And it was just always kind of like that. Like I would see him do a, a set, and I, or like he would be doing a set, and I'd be like, I am not sure I can do this, but he's doing it, so let me just do it. Yeah. Um. So there, there was always that, and then uh, another one of my good friends was uh, um, like one of the best tennis players in the high school, and he went on to play in college, and so it was always just like us, you know, tra trading back accomplishments. Like, oh, you went to this competition, like, well, I went to Paralympic Nationals, and yeah. so so having peers who were competing at a high level always inspired me. You're a closet one-upper. I didn't know that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so uh, th there was a, a, so when I was swimming in college, like, I was okay, but as a person missing one leg, like, I couldn't really keep up with the guys, but I was very competitive with the girls on the team, and we mm -hmm. pr all practiced together. So there was one girl who, her, she went to nationals every year in butterfly, um, and her, her freestyle was okay, but she was more of a distance, she was a good d distance freestyler. So her sprint freestyle and my sprint freestyle were, were perfectly matched, mm -hmm. even, even though that was like her, her worst event, and it was my best event. But we mm -hmm. always had the best races in practice. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, and it's always a race, as everyone knows. So yeah. even if she didn't know that we were racing, we were racing. Yeah, even if we tell people to go 80%, it's 115%. That's, so of course. There's nothing better than two humans racing to a finish line. I mean, that's my favorite thing in the world, any oh, sort of race. That's, yeah. Handstand, foot race, swimming race, it doesn't matter. Go. What, what about, uh, what about, True like, form runner race. You know when in Huntington Beach when they like release those are they ducks into the water and they're just slow as fuck and they're like they're just exciting they're... as hell. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of having a chariots of fire moment. I can almost picture the 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 running on the beach. Dun 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 dun. What about like just what about when they put like uh like two two tortoises two turtles oh, racing okay. each other? Is that exciting? Yeah. What have you ever seen a pig race? Well, yes. you got to go to Katy, Texas, and that, that is exciting. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, that, that covers it, then. I, that's more show footage that I'm going to have to put up. Pull up a pig race, tortoise race, and that and duck it, thing. I mean, we, even, like, uh, you know, nothing gets better than puppies racing, either. Like, the puppy bowl, <laughs> when you get a puppy breakaway in the puppy bowl at oh halftime. Oh, my God, yeah. bowl, Just, I mean, nothing more exhilarating. Oh my God, you guys are idiots. Uh, one one race that does come to mind though is Puppy Bowl. <laughs> one race that does come to mind is uh, at every single LFL game. You know, during um, whatever break they do, like basically like halftime, they have the guy come out and uh, he has to try to tackle one of the LFL girls, and she's running like full speed in his direction, and he has to like chase her and try to tackle her. And, and he never tackles her. I don't know. They're they is, have such, they're at a disadvantage. Somebody from the crowd. Yeah. Someone yeah. From the somebody. Crowd? Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Text. This is you just change your what 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 are you training for, right? And um, they, they usually I, like I, seek out the fattest, drunkest old men. Yeah. Like men. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. It is great. <laughs> Long term training goal. Wait. So I'm looking. I I knew that there was this women's football league. And I'm uh, unclear whether they're, it's called the Legend, the Legends Football League or the is. Lingerie Football League. It is. Travis, Same it's, thing. it's formerly known as the Lingerie Football League. It's formerly known. So it's, a, it's classed up its name a little bit. Oh, okay. It's, been so it's kind of like every guy's dream to have to tackle one of these girls. Exactly. Unless yeah. you, like, some of these chicks are pretty gnarly, dude. Like, some oh, actually know how to lower your, their shoulder and, and blow some people up. 
Yeah, yeah. These these some of these girls are um, they're they are more like just medium sized men. They're aggressive. Yeah, okay. they're pretty ripped. I don't know if I would want to take a shoulder into the. Oh, I'd take one. But yeah, exactly. We, uh, but you know, you'd yeah, still do it. Remember when we were talking with Chelsea and and she's getting all geared up for the like the championship last year, and she's like. I'm getting ready to take that bitch out at her knees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's insane. She's a she's a, a true competitor. She is. A lot of those girls are. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's it is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um. Well, Travis, let's uh let's segue then to if if anyone wants to get in contact with you personally, if anyone wants to get to know the fitness pollinator. Uh, by the way, I only allow one pun on every show, and we've we've reached that maximum now. So, but uh, but I love I I love your website, and uh, yeah, and I you know I'd like to get my hands on your book too, if you know someone who could potentially uh, you know maybe send that my way. But what tell us uh, just briefly how people can kind of get in touch with you if they want more um, information. So my website is www.fitnesspollinator.com, pollen like my last name. And if you want to contact me, there's a contact page. There's a tab at the top, uh, and I'm pretty good about responding. Actually, I think, Callie, that's how you got in touch with me the first time. Yep. Um, and I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I post fitness stuff on a daily basis, videos, tips, funny pictures. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's where that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us about this and ed educate everyone, and um, obviously helping me with the article. Um, you know, I know this is going to be very informative because it's a it, it's a subject matter that doesn't get enough attention, I think, and is more prevalent than people think. So um, yeah, and for another good place to go that we mentioned in the article is IamAdaptive.com. Mm -hmm. Great um, website. Yeah, we had talked a little bit about that before, but they're like uh, they're in a new organization, but they're going to be like the hub um, as far as information. And also, like bringing together athletes, adaptive athletes from around the world, and even um, uh, in partnership with the uh, Crossroads Adaptive Athletic Alliance, like educating uh, athletes and coaches with seminars about you know adaptive training techniques, yeah, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely a good website to check out. Super smart. Yeah, there needs to be a CrossFit specialty seminar, just like we have CrossFit football. There needs to be like CrossFit adaptive athlete. I think yeah, that would uh, just so I, be I, great. I always receive these uh, Facebook event invites to the Crossroads Adaptive Alliance seminars that they're doing, and they're never nearby me. But there, <laughs> that goes to say that they're going on all over the country. Um, right. And so the the information is out there um, more so now than it's ever been. And for me, growing up, that was really frustrating because. I would search the internet for like, uh, like I wanted to know if a person with one leg could do a, a squat snatch, right. and uh, nobody had really done it before. Like, not if you Googled it, not if you searched YouTube. It was all just like people like lying on their backs and doing glute bridging, and mm -hmm. like that's fine for when you're acutely rehabbing uh, an, an amputation, but. If you want to achieve elite levels of performance, then the information just wasn't there. And if yeah. and if maybe you did find somebody goofing off, like trying to do a one leg snatch, it didn't look that pretty. So mm -hmm. like for me, I wasn't sure if it was even possible. But I, you know, I asked my mentor who was teaching us Olympic lifts in personal trainer school, and he said, I firmly believe that anything that you can do on two legs, you can do on one. And so I proved it. <laughs> I you know, a few months ago, I did a squat snatch. Granted, it was with like a sissy bar and some bumper plates on either end, but it looks really cool. Um, yeah. So you know, you, there's nowhere to go but up in terms of the weight. But any anything is possible, even things that you didn't think were possible before. So yeah. the advice I give everyone is, even if you don't think you're gonna like it, just try it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, again, thank you so much, Travis. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks All a right. lot, Travis. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. To learn more about training adaptive athletes, check out my article on powerathletehq.com or better yet, find Travis Pollen on social media. He is fitness underscore pollinator on Instagram and TR Pollen on Twitter. You can also visit his website at www.fitnesspollinator.com. One of the amazing resources that he referenced was IamAdaptive.com. Go to this website right now. Don't hesitate. I promise you will be changed by what you see. This company has such an incredible mission statement, and I can't say enough good things about it. Plus, they have a pretty badass logo, and if you buy a shirt, you can support their cause. Join us next week when we chat with Dr. Allison Bragger. If anyone out there has the balls to complain about their work and training schedule, perhaps you'll reconsider your list of excuses when you imagine a day in her life. She is a practicing neuroscientist, a sleep specialist, educator, and a 2015 CrossFit Games competitor. Until next week, bye! I'm going down.